When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Aminio left the building. Guerrero lifts one to left field, and gone! Oh, Tani! That was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, yeah. We are right on the field getting you ready for a little A's baseball. Game two between the Athletics and the New York Yankees. We're out here for a little batting practice. Tony Kemp walking by looking good. What's up, my man? As uh, another heartbreaking loss yesterday for the Athletics, another late-inning loss. It's a trend that has to stop. And they got to get on a hot streak if they're going to make a run at going to the postseason, it all starts today. How many games left, Commander Cody? 34. 34. That's it. Just 34 games left. And going to be joining us, right? I'm, I'm texting as we speak. He's right in front of you. The great Billy Bean is going to be joining us here as we get you ready for a little A's baseball we won an award for the top interview in the Bay Area. If you remember, I got the award, you didn't. Really? But I can bring it to your office if you'd like did, it. Did we? Yeah. What, what, which, which one of our great interviews was it? It was the one. It was, it was the one that we did the weekly. Really? No kidding. You never told me that. Yeah, we won the best. Uh, we I, I can't remember who who was presented it, for, it or was it for all the radio? For, yeah, for for you and me in the Bay Area, we were the uh, top interview of the year. I think it was like God. It was like. What, 2014 or something oh, like that? Oh, man, that's great. How are you? It's been a while. It has. Well, the smoke's better here than it is out in the East Bay. Danville's bad. I can't believe how hot it is. Yeah. Well, that smoke, too, I think makes it worse. How are your girls doing? Uh, Sophomore year of high school. What possibly could go wrong? That's... Think about that. Enjoy. You only got three years left. God, I, but we're starting to look at colleges now. Yeah. Have you done that with your or your twins? No, they're uh, eighth graders, so they're not yet. They're going to go to De La Salle, Crondelet. So, are yours at the Catholic school? No, nah, they're at Willow Glen. But uh, I mean, we've gone down. We've looked at Santa Barbara, UCLA, Already. San Diego State. When's the last time you've been, been back home? Yeah. It's like it's, I went to uh, yesterday. Actually, I took my daughter to the. The St. Mary's San Diego State uh, girls soccer match yesterday afternoon. Yeah, isn't it crazy? Like colleges have changed so yeah. dramatically. How how big they become and the big business that is college. And uh, yeah, we're getting ready for that. It's kind of crazy. I know. It'll be fun. So how are you? It's good. good. Everything good with the family? Everybody good? Everything. Yeah, everything's good. Well, my son had hip surgery. He had a torn tendon in his hip. 
He's a big soccer player, right? That's how he heard it. He's growing so fast. He's six foot. And he's Your kid is six foot? Thirteen and a half. Wow. So he's just growing too fast. So he had the growth plate that tore off him. And he had an avulsion fracture in um, May or April. Out ten weeks, comes back, he's back for a month. The first minute of his first match, he slid to it popped a tendon and had to have surgery last Wednesday. I remember we were having a party out here on the field when they guy. were little kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's 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 going to shoot past six foot too. He's going about seven inches in the last year. So yeah, wow, that's crazy. Uh, everything else going good? Yeah, everything's going good. You know, I was thinking about this coming into you know. You've had this job longer than anybody. I know Cashman was after you, but you've had this job longer than anybody. We, and, and there's and there's we. and there's not many jobs out there where you basically you're dealing with signing human beings, you're trading guys. Like there's not many jobs in this world like this. What what has it been like in your career to deal with so many people and you make their lives great, you change their lives by trading them, signing them. I mean, what what is that like? You know, you it, it, what you got to be careful is that you know you just said something that, and I've said this to David many times. You know, you got to make sure you don't get jaded in the job. Like you take take a kid who comes up for the first time, his first at bat in the big leagues. Now, this is my twenty what what how many fifth whatever year doing this. What ninety eight? Yeah, oh yeah. So yeah. I've seen a lot of first at bats. You don't really necessarily think about it, but you you've got to remember. I remember my first at bat in the major leagues. What a massive event that is for that person and their families and everything and you you gotta in some sense you've gotta like get outside yourself and say hey let's just stop and watch this at bat because this is the most exciting moment maybe in their life at that point and you know but it's, the jaded part is that you know if you're a gym and me and Dave and the guy doesn't get a hit his first day you're all mad at him right <laughs> <laughs> so, and then you gotta check yourself and say wait a second you know your first any first I could just tell you Almost any first appearance, but, but even at bat, you just throw it out the door. If a guy hits a homer, and you know you, we've all seen that, that's incredible. But it's it. You, I remember mine. It literally went like that. I had a massive headache afterwards because all the stress. And I was up there the first pitch I saw from Kent to Colby. I'd hit it right back. To Kent him. to Colby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was over in like thirty seconds, maybe thirty seconds. So. By the way, I wish we were on Sirius XM. And we could really get into your Mets stories because you've got some uh, – I mean, if we're going to go your old buddy Lenny Dykstra to Daryl Strawberry, Dwight Gooden, you've got incredible Mets stories. That was an amazing – well, the, listen, it's great a team. It was incredibly talented team. In fact, I, I'll say it to the guys. To this day, I'm not sure I've seen a minor league system that was that good. Uh, the eight from 80 through 85 and I my first year I was drafted 80 that was Daryl's year uh, Dykstra was 81 uh, but that Gooden was what 82 maybe uh, it, the amount of the talent it seemed like every guy they drafted whether it be high school or college ended up being a really good player if not for the Mets for somebody else I mean they're getting guys like Mark Carrion out of high school in the seventh round and uh, Rick Aguilera in like the fourth round you know and he's saving 250 games. Uh, Calvin Chiraldi. I mean, just on and on and on. And I remember thinking, as a you know, as a kid, going, God, I'm so glad I don't have to face uh, you know our own pitching staff because our some of them in the minor leagues were just amazing. And then, uh, but you know, but one of them, and, you know, to, to your point, 
there were some amazing personalities there too. It was a fun group of guys. And Ronnie Darling was there, yeah. you know, and uh, Tim Leary, I remember him, the old UCLA guy. And uh, they, along with being talented players, it was a pretty unique group of guys. And it was it was fun. It was a, it was a fun, uh, fun time to come up. I was traded wisely as, because the Mets ended up getting Timmy Tuffle, who was uh, a guy that they've been wanting from a while for the Twins. So I, I wasn't there in 86 when they won it. But uh, it was a talented team. Had lots of personalities, and then you had New York, and uh, and New York at that time was it was it was a perfect team for that town at that time. I mean, they you know they're like rock stars, you know, totally, and, yeah. Uh, and it was a fun group. Davy Johnson was a, really one of the most underrated managers, I think, really in modern day. People don't talk about he, he was a really good manager, and was way ahead of his time in terms of the way he managed the game very similar way guys manage now i mean he was a big proponent of the home run the walk uh not necessarily risking outs on the bases he liked offense he'll he usually choose the offense over the defense in fact he played howard johnson at short a number of times a year oh joe yeah yeah so uh but it was a great it was actually and and, you know a lot of the players you know as major league players now but we also had like you know uh, Steve Phillips came up, ended up being a general manager. John Gibbons was with us, ended up managing for years. There was just a, a lot of, a lot of talent. Period. You know, not just uh, playing talent, but executive talent and coaching talent that came through there. And, and Frank Cashin was the uh, GM. Hall. And I don't know if Frank's in the Hall of Fame. If he's not, he should be. You know, I think about you. You know, when you're coming up, and you're around all this great talent. Like, when did you know? As Billy being, you know, your number one pick, you're, you know, you're projected to be a star. But when did you know, uh-oh, Daryl Strawberry's really good? <laughs> you know, like these guys, are, you were around yeah. some incredible talent. Yeah, it was, yeah, Daryl, I mean, to this day, probably, probably the best athlete I've ever been around. I mean, just natural athletic ability. I, I would, that was the one thing. I, I was always pretty honest with myself about my baseball skill level. But athletically, I I never felt like there's too many guys who weren't a better who were necessarily better athletes, you know. But baseball, you need both. You need to have the skill, you know. You, you just can't have pure athletic ability. If you've got both, and you, you know, you can be a great player. I didn't have the skill level and the strike zone discipline, on and on and on. But I remember playing in, with Daryl. I don't know if I told you this story once, Chris. And I was, you know, at the time, decent basketball. Weren't we all decent basketball players? Well, you're, you, you were tall and yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we were playing, and we played back then. And you can't imagine now. We used to play pickup basketball games all the time, and we were playing Midland, Texas, on the road. We we're in the Texas League, and I, we we're playing two on two. And Daryl uh, had went to Crenshaw High. He was about six six. I was six four at the time, and he, he quickly drop stepped on me and slammed right on me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'd never had anybody, I'd never had anybody do that ever in my life. And I, and that was why you know beyond seeing him on the baseball field on a daily basis, I went. Whoa! <laughs> and again, I, you know, again, I always kept my own playing ability in perspective. But athletically, again, I always felt like you know I could compete athletically. Right away, I went, "Well, this guy's better." <laughs> I'll never forget when he picked up the ball from the outfield oh, yeah. wall and threw it all the way home. You're like, "That's a different yeah. dude." He he really was. And what people don't realize too is how fast he was. You know, because he was so tall and ang- you know he had these long strides. You didn't necessarily, you wouldn't think like he's that fast. He could fly. He he, he was so fast. Just a great athlete. A good guy too. I always liked Daryl. And if I I ran into him a couple of years ago, I was speaking, 
and uh, at a conference, and he somehow happened to be there for something. We bumped into each other. It was good. I, I he was. I always liked Darrell. He's he, man. He, I, probably as much pressure as I've ever seen on a young player coming up in my entire career. And he, it, you know, it, it was tough. I mean, number one pick. He was kind of one of the first of the sort of, you know, when you start talking about the draft, that was one of the number one picks people really started knowing right out of high school. And, and it was New York, too. So, uh, but he was a great player, really good player. You know, I think about your life, and so much of your life has been right here. Yeah. And, you know, you think about your family, you think about your kids, you think about your career. What does this place mean to you? You know, it's it's funny. As I've gotten older, I've actually, you know, I've, thought, I've walked down halls and I've, I've thought about, like, you know, I told, I remember telling David we were walking by, you know, we're here on the field now, Chris, people can't see us, but I was walking up on the concourse and I and I said, hey, I walked by this seat. I said, you know, I used when I my first year in the front office up here after I was named assistant gym, I sat right here to have lunch here in the stadium in the off season. And I used to see Danny Glover on the payphone because they're filming Angels in the Outfield here. Remember, 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 Danny Glover was in Angels <laughs> yes. in the Outfield, and I'd come out of my office, have lunch, and just payphone, right? Yeah. And I was looking on the wall for more. Well, the payphone used to be here. By the way, kids, yeah. Google it. There's yeah. something called a payphone. <laughs> and so he, he was using the payphone, and I'd come down, and, and they were filming out here for that movie in '90. I think it was the fall, or yeah, the fall of '93 after the season. And I'm thinking it's '93. That's like, oh my God! I mean, that's you know, work, you know, 27, 28, whatever years, 27 years ago, whatever it is, 28 years ago, and so you, it is a long time. And uh, you know, and me and, <laughs> me and Sandy used to come out here to lunch and run with our shirts off. And stuff. <laughs> you and Sandy, <laughs> yeah. yeah, running around the outfield, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it, again, that was, yeah, the, when Sandy was still here, we'd come out here and we'd take our shirts off. And in fact, I remember playing the Yankees once and talking to my buddy here. We we're playing, that was, that the, the year when Straw was with the Yankees was 90, he was, I think it was on that 98, 98 team. Yeah. yeah. And I remember they were in town one, and during that lunchtime, we we're playing the Yankees. I remember coming out having the shirt off, you know, bronzing <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, listen, Eck used to run out of the Hagenberger when he was here. Like he brought in just a pair of shorts right on Hegenberger bronze. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Ask him next time you see him. He'd go out there and he'd run and and uh yeah, like eighty nine, ninety and stuff. He, when he was yeah, when he was he you know, when he he was uh, uh Cy Young, he'd go out and he would run outside the stadium with these little like dolphin Coach, shorts. Coach's <laughs> shorts. No, they weren't coaches' shorts. <laughs> that would have been more appropriate. <laughs> you know, the reality is, you know, when they talk about how you don't like watching games, I remember, I can't remember what year it was. It was like around 12, 13. Mary, I had to ask you a question. And I came down the elevator, and you were on the treadmill, and Farhan was doing <laughs> biceps, and I went, it's real. I mean, you don't like to watch yeah. games you've i mean my box has been next to your box all these years i've never even seen you yeah. in your box no you know it, it i just I, what i realized you know you you know this job listen i've never lost in any of the intensity and i realized early on that when i did that i was overly intense and i wasn't a particularly pleasant person to be around and i wasn't necessarily a great decision maker too you know and so i i sort of realized you know I can get the same information. I can get everything I need to know in a less emotional time. 
And then it just became kind of a habit. And then, it, uh, you know, uh, it, and it just seemed like a much better way to sort of manage yourself and then ultimately make decisions, you know? And if, it's funny, when Bob came over here, Bob uh, Melvin, you know, Bob's been here, what, over a decade now, right? Yeah. And uh, as long as we got the longest, you know, whoever thought that was going to happen, right, early in my career, right? And well, yeah, <laughs> to think that you have the longest tenured manager. Yeah. Well, that again, that was I think it was more narrative than anything. But uh, I told Bob, I said, listen, Bob, after a game, I'll, I'll never call you unless we need to make a move, injury move. I won't call you after a win or a loss. And one of the reasons I, I said that is because win or lose, if we lose, we're, we're both emotional at that time. And 75%, I think most executives and head coaches or managers can relate, 75% of what you'd say after a tough game, you probably wouldn't say in the morning. And so I've, it's a much, just much healthier way. And so even if we win 17 to nothing, I won't call. If we lose, you know, and again, unless we need to speak about or something really specific came up in that game that needs to be addressed in terms of, you know, let's say call-ups, things like that. But that, re- that doesn't happen all the time. So it's just a much better way to govern yourself. And I kind of learned a little bit from Sandy because, uh, you know, Sandy, <laughs> I remember the first night, first night I was, very first night I was the assistant gym. This is 93, middle of 93 I get promoted to assistant gym. And I come up here and I'm all fired up and I'm, I might even worn a suit into the office or something that day. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. And uh, I, I'm up in the box with Sandy, and uh, something first something happened, and he he happened to the re, the remote control slipped out of his hand and hit the wall, <laughs> and it, and I looked at Eric Kubota, who's our scouting director now. You know Eric well, right? And yeah. uh, and Eric was our assistant scouting director at the time. And I looked at him. And I said, Wow. And he goes, oh, yeah, he's like this all the time. <laughs> I mean, he said he was really intense. And then over time, he too, he, what I would notice, like like in games when it started getting close, I, I'd look around the box. This is when I would sit in the box. And Wally was up there too, Wally Haas. And Sandy would be gone. And, I, you know, where's Sandy goes? And then Eric goes, oh, he went driving somewhere. And so I sort of picked up that habit of sort of escaping a little bit. Uh, probably the one, the two memorable ones was when we were in 2000. If you remember, if you remember, Chris, the last day of the season, we had to beat Texas to win the division. That was, and uh, it was late September. It was a hot day. I didn't want to watch any of it, so I went over to Alameda, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to hear anything. I just wanted to be gone for two hours and show up and have the game over. And I'm trying to avoid the game, and I walking on the beach in Alameda, and the Raiders are playing. I think so you could hear a Raider game thing, and you could hear our game on the radio with people on the beach. I'm just trying to get away, but it's on everywhere. So I, I remember reading a magazine in the Safeway over in Alameda for like an hour and a half. I finally broke down and drove in Hagenberg, and I think it was either Jambi doubled that day. Jeremy, I didn't see it, but I just know on the thing. Jeremy and then Randy Vardy might have homered. We won three nothing, and I could hear the crowd all the way on Hagenberger. So I knew something good had happened, but I didn't know what the score. And when I walked in, I think we were up like 3 nothing in the 7th or 8th inning. That was a day, it's kind of a famous, for me it's famous, seeing Isrenhausen strike out, I think Catalanato for the last out. And that was our first division title. And, uh, and that's, so that's one of my memorable escapes. One of the New York games, I went on the subway and just wandered around the city. In game five, it was the, I think that was 2000, 2001, I think. When, yeah. I'll never forget. <laughs> When I was on KMBR, and I brought you on Saturday night when you traded for Isringhausen, and you came on with Larry Kruger and I back in the day. What, what year was that? That was that in was, the 90s, uh, right? We traded for Izzy in 99 because yeah. I, 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 I got crushed t- t- 10 days before that because I don't know if you remember, we had Kenny Rogers. 
The gambler. And what we needed to do was trade. See, we had a, a unique situation with Kenny. He was making $5 million a year. The Yankees were paying $2.5 million. So we were getting two and a half million cash. So we were able to take, send the five million salary to the Mets, but still keep the two and a half from the Yankees. So we didn't subsidize. So they paid because he was really good. We didn't have to. So we used that to create cash, you know. To and then we, so we, but we traded Kenny, and we we're like a game under five hundred. And everyone, I mean, it was my second year, and they're just killing me on the radio, like we're, <laughs> like we were waving a white flag. And I knew we had a whole bunch of moves. That's when we. Apier came in, Velarde came in, Omar Oliveras came in, Izzy came in. And so, uh, so you know, with the cash that we'd created or the payroll space that we created, well, we had to wait 10 days. So for 10 days, I, you probably, one of them, were just crushing me. Yes, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was brutal. Yeah, was, I mean, it, in your second year, you know, now, you know, you get crushed. You know, they say, nice thing, get crushed. It's, you know, at, at, at this point, you know, you sort of know how to handle it. When you're second year, it's it's not as much fun. Well, you admitted a few years back that you have watched Moneyball, but you're always looking over your back to make sure no one's watching you while you do it. Do you like how you were portrayed? Yeah, I thought, yeah. I mean, uh, I like all the good parts, yeah. I mean, the yeah, it's uncomfortable. I mean, it's, it's a tough question to ask. It's Brad Pitt. I mean, you know, she, you, you kind of had me at hello, right? Yeah. So that helps. And, uh, uh, I mean, it wasn't, you know, uh, you know, it, that helped. And he was phenomenal. So it was just it's an uncomfortable experience. And now when you mentioned, I've, I don't think I've seen the whole movie since that we had the premiere here in Oakland in 11, which you were at. Yeah. That, yeah. That's the last time I've seen the whole movie. I, I think I might have told you the story. If not, it's it's funny because uh, it was three years ago in spring training, and I was in Phoenix, and I and I had like the flu, and I was sick as a dog. Nick told me just stay home, and I'm on the couch, and I've got a blanket on, and I'm just laying there watching, and I happen to scroll through the guide, and it was like Moneyball's on, and I and I kind of make sure no one's watching. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I turned it on and watched about 20 minutes of it, right? And then I started thinking, oh, this is really creepy. Someone's going to come in and, and think, you know, like, then I sit around watching the movie, but I was like, I just turned it off, right? And so I've never seen the whole, I've never seen the whole thing. And, uh, and my younger kids, my, my oldest daughter, Casey, obviously has, but my uh, she younger. She lived it. Yeah. My younger ones, uh, my daughter's seen half of it. She's the one who always wanted to see it. My son could care less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he, he could care less. He didn't even know who Brad Pitt is. <laughs> it's like, whatever, Dad. Yeah. So my favorite parts of the movie are the scouts. It's hilarious, yeah. right? He's got an ugly girlfriend. What does that mean? No confidence. Did any of that Did any of that ever, like, I like a guy has got a little hair on his ass. Did any of that ever really happen? It's, in real life, it's even better. <laughs> <laughs> the, the scouts have their own lingo. Yeah. And... Especially our guys, because we've been together so long, and there's such a sense of comfort with each other that it's and a lot of that they they took, you know. And, and Michael was in the draft room, so Michael Lewis was Mike. The one thing about Michael's book was Michael was there. Everything that's in there is true. I mean, unfortunately, I wish it wasn't because there were some quotes in there that you know kind of cringe myself. But Michael was there, and so they drew a lot of it from from the book, and. And honestly, our draft room is even funnier than that. When you get in the draft room, because we're, we're all there, all the it's scouts. It's a war are, room. Oh, it's, and, they're, and they're so funny. I mean, you know Billy O. Yeah. I mean, Billy O. You want the, the best story about the great Billy Owens, <laughs> uh, Bay Area kid from uh, Bellarmine. Uh, 
it was so funny when I had him on because you know he travels more. He's got more Marriott points than any human being in the yeah. world, right? He he. When we had him on, he was like. I actually got to actually meet my neighbors for the first time because of COVID. He had to be home. He didn't even know his what Gilbert, Arizona, yeah. wherever he lives. He's like he didn't even know his neighbors. He yeah. travels so much. Yeah, I remember being on the road with him one time, and he, he at one time he he had bought the place in Gilbert, and he had another his old place. He was actually renting it out, you know. So I remember we might have been in Atlanta or something years ago, and on a scout scouting, we and I met him somewhere, and and he gets his calls, and he and he's calling his handyman to go fixed the plumbing at his old house and it like like he was like a real estate mogul but i think he senses sold that because he's just not around enough to get on but billy's the best and he he he's out yeah that's he loves the game he loves sports you know that yeah he's a former quarterback i get as many texts from billy on college football on college you know basketball but he's just a sports fanatic and uh i mean billy could work in any i mean he could be an nfl scout if he wanted to he could be at any Scott because he just loves sports. He loves talking about players. He loves talented kids, and he loves talking about them. And that's why he's great at what he does. So when did it come to you that continuities? Then I mean, I think how long David's been here. I mean, he's grown up as a yeah. as an adult here. Talk about Billy O, Kubota, now Bob Melvin, just Brady. Great, yeah, Chris Pataro. I mean, Chris. Great, Grady's playing golf with my brother and nephew down at uh, uh, San, Jose, San Diego Country Club. Uh, it, I think about the con. When did you say, "I'm not going to be the guy that replaces it"? I'm about continuity. When did that happen? You know, I I was having this con- a friend of mine's a writer in New York, and we were talking about some things. And and I've known him for years; he's a good friend. And we were talking, and we started talking about the. If you think about the A's history, you know, he was asking me like basically, the, you know, the question I don't really get anymore is like well you know how come you've always stayed there and there's a million reasons why but if you look at the A's history you had Connie Mack who ran it for well, how many years right now yeah. 50 or whatever you had Charlie Finley you had Sandy and then now myself there hasn't been a whole lot of sort of heads of baseball operations in, in general with the A's going back to Philadelphia it's sort of always been the case with this and I, I, I didn't necessarily think about that when I started but uh i think that's one of our strengths is the is the continuity we've been through a lot together there's a comfort there's a sense of calm i think when you know listen we've gone through rebuilds here we've lost our best players we've had i mean i've i mean i think back to even like when we traded donaldson we we're a team that had to rebuild and we literally took our best asset in the trade and didn't get a whole lot in return and we still figured it out you know we just kept transacting and I think a lot of that comes with the fact that you know there was a sense of confidence with all of us and and we weren't we, we knew we weren't always going to be right but we weren't going to be frozen uh with in and in, in, be inactive because we'd made a mistake and so uh that's assuming you think the Donaldson trade didn't turn out best for us I mean some people argue that it did but uh. I mean <laughs> I, I've never ripped you about it on the postgame show <laughs> <laughs> I never said that. I did. I never said no. I mean, you know, I, I I think about your time. I mean, you've been here so long. We were joking how you were going to become a catcher at one point, but I just think about you know how long you've been here. I mean, you are a huge part of the fabric that is A's baseball. And I remember, and we'll end on this because I know you got to go. But I remember we were talking about like people don't understand how tough this job is. You. It wasn't fair that they put you out there on ballpark. You're not a ballpark guy. You, yeah. You're here, and but you were the face 
and unfortunately kind of Lou kind of threw you under the bus in a lot of ways, <laughs> let's be honest. But you've been through so much. Just talk about you understand how to win here, and I don't think people really understand how tough it is, your job, to try and win every single year. Yeah, and the, well, the first thing is I say it's we, because it is we. I mean, you, I'm glad you mentioned David. I mean, I mean, I've had some amazing guys next to me. You think of like a Valti Podesta, yeah. who's running the Browns now, and you see where they're where they're going. I've had Farhan. We see what Farhan's done over there. But the constant for me, and I had JP before that, and I've got Billy O and I got David. So those guys I've had next to me for 20 years, and so I feel so fortunate. Number one to have, and you guys have gotten to know David over the years. This isn't you know when I say oh David, it's not me just you know praising a number two. The, the people know how much David does or how important he is, which is great. Uh, and so I've been lucky. I've had, I think of anything, what I've been good at, I've, I think I've done a good job at finding good people around me and, uh, and creating a continuity because uh, it is hard. I mean, every year, I mean, it's the churn. I mean, it, 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 there's been a couple of years where we had, it might have been after 13 or 12, and I knew, we, we knew we didn't have to do 13, I think it was. We go, this team's coming back. And we basically just little tweaks. But then the next year, it's a complete overhaul. And that churn is just makes it very difficult. And we don't, we've got a small group of players we're able to choose from. So, uh, you know, I listen, looking around sports and things like that, I really respect the, you know, listen, anybody who does this job, I respect. But when you see guys, if they, they win and then they do it again, like Belichick, it's amazing what Belichick has done. I mean, his roster's, you know, for 20 something years. I think of Bill Walsh, what he did. Walsh, yeah. yeah. And Belichick's even, I mean, I mean, he, the one that constant he had was Brady, which, you know, obviously the most important position in the field. But still, just the constant turnover that he had in the NFL, which by and large has a salary cap, pretty impressive. And so, uh, but, yeah, no, I appreciate that comment. It is, it is tough, but, I mean, everybody, it's tough in every market. I mean, you know, Brian Cashman, we're playing the Yankees, and I, Brian has his own headaches too, you know, trust me. I and mean, there's headaches that he has. But, in fact, it's a good time to talk about Brian. I'll let you go is that. Because Ryan and I are like a couple months apart. Yeah. You know, we both. He's like three months yeah, after you. Yeah, yeah. So. And by I, the way, you helped him with analytics, by the way. According, I know. Yeah. According to the reports. Yeah, thanks for that. Well, you know, it's funny. The guy, <laughs> the, the, guy the, the young man, his name's Michael Fishman. We almost hired him when Paul left. Me and David were going to hire him. And then the last interview was a guy named Farhan. And we went, that's the guy, right? <laughs> and that's literally what me and David said. When, and you've, you've gotten to know Far. Oh, yeah, he's, great guy. And, and now, you know, everyone realized, A, how great he is. What a great personality. But after the interview, I mean, Michael Fishman is fantastic. And he's like the number two guy there. And he was on the back page of the Post when they were struggling, right, kind of uh, a couple of months ago. But, yeah, when Brian was uh, looking to start an analytics department about 04. It was like 04, 05, I think it was. Maybe – and he said, hey, do you have any recommendations? I said, hey, there's a wonderful young man. We were going to hire him, except this, this other guy named Farhan Zaidi came in, and, and it was just a perfect fit. And, and, and Michael's been a great fit for them over there. But, I, yeah, Brian's a good friend. And, but his, you know, it's a good time to talk about him. He might be the great. If you look at his body of work, he may be, you could make the argument that he's the greatest GM of all time in terms of accomplishment. You know, how long he's been there in that market and how many World Series he's won, his winning percentage, and yet he's constantly sort of having to be on the defensive because, you know, if you're the Yankees guy, if you don't win it, then it, it, nothing works. You know, you're going to – Boy, gonna are get, you being humble right now. <laughs> I don't remember them writing a book about Brian Cashman <laughs> or making a movie about yeah, Brian Cashman. Yeah. 
That I don't even might. know who would even play Brian Cashman <laughs> in a movie. Yeah, well, uh, he's good. Yeah, he's really good. I mean, he doesn't get the credit because he's got the money. And uh, it, but it's not, you know, listen, there's a lot of great GMs. That's the one thing I think now that the game is so smart. I mean, you look at, I mean, Farhan in San Francisco, Andrew down in Los Angeles, Neander in, in, in Tampa. I mean, this just a, I mean, I could go on. There, there's there's no, nobody who's doing this job who isn't, who isn't really bright and really good at what they do. I'll never forget you told me this. I don't remember what year. And people think about, oh, he could have gone to Boston. He could have gone to New York. I know L.A.'s come after you. You always said, I want to be able to go to Starbucks and be able just to have a coffee in Danville, and no one cares. Yeah, you know, no, exactly. And it's that's the great thing about living in the Bay Area is there's so, people, so many interesting people here especially with the way the world's gone in the last 25 years, the companies that have come out of here. You're in, if you're in line at that Starbucks, the guy in front of you might have invented, you know, three or four companies and sold them already. He might have actually done something creative and helpful to mankind. <laughs> and so it's humbling to know who your neighbors are because it's such a dynamic area in so many ways. And so, but yeah, for me, uh, yeah, I, again, I, in fact, I'll give you a quote. Someone said, you know, I remember in Boston, which is an amazing sports town, and they, you know, say, hey, if you win in Boston, you're going to own the town. And I remember saying, I don't really want to own the town. I just want to go to Starbucks and have a cup of coffee, you know, and hang out, you know, and talk about something else. So, yeah, it, it, it's I'm not trying to be overly humble, but I just, I mean, we're from San Diego. That's how we roll, man. Yeah, shorts and flip flops. Well, I mean, I, 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 I always say this. I'm not here. You know, one of the great achievements in my career was being able to leave sports radio on my terms, which most people don't, and to be able to come work for the organization that I love, I'm not here if it's not for you. Oh, I understand oh. that. You've done, a, you've done a lot for me in my career over the years, and you know I've known you since the 90s, and I can't thank you enough for everything you've done for me. Uh, no, it's well-deserved, Chris. It's great to have you here. It's, uh, and I remember those myself. What you finish is you're trying to get rid of me now. Is I'm, I remember me and you and Kruger with this. You had a Sunday show, right? Yes, right. Saturday and Sundays. Sunday. Yeah. And I used to go on that all the time. And I'm thinking, there's no way in heck I'd go on that. I, no, we're friends. You know, now yeah. we've known each other for years. Yeah. But I'm thinking, God, I used whenever someone would call, I'd do every radio show mainly because I thought I had to, right? Oh, you're on Jim Rome constantly. <laughs> yeah. But then I realized, then there gets to the point where you go. Man, I don't have to do any of these things. Not that I don't like doing it, but if you do this job long enough, you kind of run out of cute things to say, yeah. and then you kind of get tired of yourself. And you, you know, and you're, and then you know, again, when you're in the bay, you're not that important. I'm not that important. And so, the idea that someone would want to talk to me three, four times times a week, I'm thinking, ah, I'm not that interesting anyway. So, uh, it, again, it's a lot of it is just more you you get fatigued with yourself. Well, we did win yeah. best interview of the year. I don't remember I what year that, that was. I think it was like 13 or 14. I have the trophy. I want I want a copy because, you know, in this era of Zoom calls, that would look nice over my shoulder. I mean, think about that. I mean, are we getting out of that? I mean, it's it's horrible. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I, I, I actually I hope so. It's it's funny. It's 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 still it's going to be around the state to some extent and which will prevent some of us from having to travel in some situations. But yeah, it'd be nice. It'd be nice. It's nice to actually come out. You see the press and everything now, and uh, never thought I'd say that. <laughs> no, you're gonna run out of here real quick. Uh, by the way, when Steve Vucinich retires after spring training, are you the longest tenured guy? Uh, no. Well, we got Pam Brady, Pam. We got a Pam bunch. Pam Pitts yeah. has been yeah, here forever. Pam's, yeah, Pam's been here. Mickey. 
The great Mickey Morbido. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Mickey, yeah, definitely Mickey, Pam, or Grady, or off the Keith. Well, Keith's still with us, so yeah, you know, he's he's taking a little going in the Hall of Fame. All these guys going in the Hall of Fame, as he should. I mean, it's it's uh, you, you'll you'll be there soon. Well, I want to wear a green jacket in the Hall of Fame, absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think at some point you're going to get hope in. So. Yeah. All I right, hope my so. hey. By the way, how do you feel? We'll end on this. You cool with this alliance, Pac-12, Big Ten, like Big 12, really? Well, I, I tell you, I'm getting a little – these super conferences, you know, we, we got – Because you're still on the board, right, for helmets? Right no, now? no, not anymore. No, not anymore. That, if that's if gonna, people don't know, you're a huge USC fan. Huge USC fan. I, I, yeah. Well, I'm, you know, I get a little worried about the Pac-12 mainly because, you know – from a competitive standpoint, the SEC has been dominating, and yeah. Ohio State and Penn State and Wisconsin, and the way that SC, I think, is it Oklahoma and Texas joining? And what? Yeah, that was a shocker. Yeah, so I, I from a competitive standpoint, it, I, it it'll be interesting. I I just want, I just like, like to see, I like to see West Coast teams in the bowl games. I don't want to see them playing in the Astro Blue Bonnet Bowl on, on December <laughs> the Blue Bonnet Bowl <laughs> from know? the Astrodome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, every, it, God, it's we're old. We remember that. Oh yeah, <laughs> the uh, Poland Weed Eater Bowl. Yeah, the Poinsettia Bowl. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, we had that in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So no, I, I just I like to see. I you know I root for the root for the local kids. I root for the West Coast. I like to see Oregon, Oregon State, Washington. I like to see see them do well. So in the last few years, and you know, football, the SEC, the facilities in the SEC, even in baseball. Have just are so so good now. You, know, you got kids from the West Coast, from San Diego, kids from our high school that are going out to the SEC to play, SEC to play baseball now, because the facilities are so. They got a yeah. lot of money. Yeah, well, they put a lot on the you know athletic facilities, and uh, and so so for that reason, I'm hoping the the merging of the conferences will at least create a you know a, a very competitive and a good conference. I want USC to win it, but <laughs> but we'll see. We're right around the corner. Hey, thank you so much. It's always great. Good talking to you guys. We're going to talk to you during the postseason. There you go. There we go. The great Billy Bean right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. A's Cast Live continues from Ricky Henderson Field. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, one of the great things about being able to do the show here, we can go from Billy Bean to Jed Lowry like that, like boom. Are you kidding me? How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You know, we're just talking off the air, and I I just think about what the Bay Area means to you in your life. I mean, you got a great education at Stanford. You mm-hmm. played on some great teams there. Mm-hmm. I think about your run here, your wife, your family. Just there's something about Jed Lowry in the Bay Area that just yeah. works. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I mean, it's uh, it, it's it's been good to me. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the people involved in the A's organization, they, um, you know, see the see the game the same way I do and, and appreciate the, you know, what I can bring to the table. And, um, so I, you know, I'm very grateful for the opportunities I've gotten here. Yeah, and I think about you know what you went through. I mean, obviously it's brutal not to play for two years. You know, it's your, 
it's your career. It's it's rehab and socks. Surgeries are terrible, but you're healthy when you play for the A's. And just just speak to what it means to put on that uniform and and what you've done for this organization three different times. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, listen, I I've you know had unfortunately had my you know share of injuries yeah. here too, right? Like I I ended up getting foot surgery when I was here, and I you know I've I've uh, I've missed a few games, but I've certainly had the longest stretch um, healthy here, and um, you know I, I really appreciate all the work that goes in behind the scenes for you know all the uh, all the people, all the training staff, Oz the massage guy um you know they they do such a great job and so um it, it really allows me to do my job you know I, and i i think we just talked to billy bean about this about continuity the continuity around here is so different than a lot of forgets his baseball i mean mm. a lot of organizations where we talk nfl nba nhl just talk about how that you know that continuity it's just it always seems like home yeah no i i mean i think uh you know, particularly with the, uh, you know, the front office and, and then with Bob and, um, you know, they've they've kind of created a culture here. Um, and I think Bob in particular that is just allows players to, excuse me, be themselves and uh, allows them to get the most out of uh, out of themselves. And so I, I think. Uh, you you got to tip your hat a lot to Bob and the and the culture that he's uh, he, he's allowed blossom here. What we've always loved about your game is, is the approach in, in a world where we're three true outcomes, right? Home sure. runs, walks, strikeouts. Sure. That's not you. Mm-hmm. You're about putting the ball in play. You're mm-hmm. about making great contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much do you talk to the younger hitters about? Hey, listen, striking out's not cool. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. got to stop doing that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, listen, I I. <laughs> I, I subscribe to that, you know, like three true outcomes a little bit, right? Like in the sense that, you know, driving the ball is definitely valuable, right? That OPS, it, it, it doesn't lie, but it also doesn't tell the whole story. Um, so I, I think it's, to me, um, it's about having consistent at-bats, right? Like knowing who you are as a hitter, learning who you are as a hitter, and being that guy every single day. And, you know, I, I think uh, that's that that's where you get the, the most productivity out of yourself is is when you know who you are. And, you know, if you have a guy like, uh, you know, if I if I hit a ball well, it's going to go out. Right. But if I go up there and I try to hit a home run every single pitch, um, that's not going to be successful, you know, for someone like myself. And so I think it's it's about making, like you said, quality contact as consistently throughout the season as you can. Think about back to your days at Stanford. <clears throat> And all the way through your professional career, yeah. just how velocity has truly changed in your career. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it's it's almost indescribable. Um, even to the start of my big league career, uh, you know, that was uh, in 14 years ago. And I think the average, you know, fastball velocity was right around 90, maybe, maybe 91. Now we're talking average velocities 93 plus. Um, you know, and that doesn't sound like a huge jump, but you know, that's that's astronomical in terms of an average uh, average velocity. So, um, you know, that part of the game has has changed. Um, you know, you you never get that guy, or, or very rarely do you get that guy who's you know just turning the ball over and just trying to get the weak contact. Those guys are now being evaluated and being paid on missing barrels and spin rate. And so it's, you know, the, the pitching philosophy has changed a lot. Like, what's your approach when you're come up to bat and you know this guy throws 100 miles an hour? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, to, like I said, that, that's that's where you know my approach uh, being consistent. It doesn't really change, right? Like, I I'm looking for a pitch that I know I can hit, and I'm trying to hit it as hard as I know that I can, right? And that depending on the the pitch that I'm given that particular at bat, because you don't always get a good pitch to hit at the big league level. Um, you know, these guys are the best in the world. You know, you're you're basically looking for mistakes, and sometimes you don't get it. Um, so. You know, when you do get a pitch that you can hit, you're looking to hit it. You're looking to hit it hard. And to me, that that means, you know, a, a barrel um, squared up. Thirty-four games left. Yep. Three really, you know, some some late inning losses ha- yep. have been tough. What's it like sure. in the clubhouse right now? No, I, I think uh, I think we all understand the uh, the position that we're in, um, and I think guys are still confident in our uh, everybody in that clubhouse. And, you know, listen, the way we started out this year and the way we bounced right back with that long winning streak, this team knows uh, what we're capable of. And so we, you know, we just need to find our groove again. And um, I, I think uh, I think we're going to be right where we want to be. It's kind of been crazy. The American League, everybody is streaky, right? Yeah, it's like very like, much so. Like, look how streaky the Yankees are. But right. if you what? went before that Field of Dreams game, they were in full-on panic mode. No, I mean, it's they, been streaky, it was, everybody. Yeah, no, I mean, it was uh, – you know, panic mode there, right? Like everybody was uh, ready to write them off for the whole year. And, you know, what, 12 in a row now that these guys have won and, you know, everybody's everybody's singing their praises. So, you know, things change on a dime. That's why, you know, I love our, our kind of theme this year of ride the wave, right? Because, um, you know, in the clubhouse, we can't we can't live the highs and lows too much. We, we just kind of have to uh, go about our business on a daily basis. And, um, you know, like I said, just ride that wave. So riding the wave, uh, when you have stepped up for the free throw, yes. Okay, so it's the Chicago Bulls theme. Mark, <laughs> Michael Jordan, it's the uh, fog that, machine. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. How is Jed <laughs> done with the free throw? I, I think I, I think I'm one for three. So not, not too good, but uh, you know, percentage wise on a baseball field, I'll take a one for three any day at the free throw stripe. That's, uh, that's not good. But, but there's a lot of distractions. There's, uh, you know, guys <laughs> in your face. I remember the first one I shot. I there was so much fog. You, li- I literally couldn't even see the rim. Um, so you're just going, you're just going off a of feel. So um, yeah, I, that's not the one I made. I can tell you that much. Well, I, you know, how different has the game become? Think yeah. about it. Yeah. When you first got in the game, and now, yeah. you're, now you're shooting free throws yeah. in a locker room. Yeah. No, that, that's like I said. That that's where you know the the culture um, you know that that Bob has has built and like I said, allowed to blossom here. Um, that that's what that's what makes this game fun, right? Like we have very high expectations. Um, we hold each other accountable. Um, you know, we expect to perform well and to play well, but then we're still going to have fun doing it. You know, I remember the first interview you did with us. Mm-hmm. We were outside. We were I that remember that. Ticket booth. In that booth, yeah. 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 And since then, I'd say you're one of my favorite days of all time. What, what you've you. done for our franchise. Thank you. Uh, just not as a player, but as a class act, as Thank a leader. You. I know how much Melvin loves you. Um, no matter, you know, I don't know how much longer you're going to play, but you're always going to be in Oakland, a, and this fan base loves you. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that, and, and I really can't, you know, express how, how much the, the A's mean to me, uh, and I take a lot of pride in that because a lot of, um, you know, really good players, some of the best players to play this game um, has put have put on an A's uniform all the way back to Philadelphia, to Kansas City, and now here in Oakland. Well, you're a class act. We always appreciate the time. Good luck today. All right, thanks. We got more coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. 
This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. The host of Giants pregame and Bay Area baseball historian Marty Lurie was on A's Cast Live and explained how Townie has now become the new marathon man for pre- and post-game shows. You have eclipsed me. You are unbelievable how much content you put out, and the A's are so lucky to have you there. I don't know how you do it every day. I did it for 25 years. And uh, you're still doing it in the most strong fashion, and I commend you for it. You, you, you are a, a tremendous treasure to Oakland A's baseball, believe me. To listen to the full interview and much more, go to athletics.com slash A's cast. Streaming from Ricky Henderson Field, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Marley, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm sad you had to hear that. <laughs> that I'm a, a treasure because I work too much. I actually have to say that I feel honored to be sitting with a treasure the, the way you are a treasure in the Bay Area. I, I will say this. There's nothing like this in Major League Baseball, <laughs> right? You travel around. You travel. You I know, do. The Yankees. Where do you see people doing live talk shows on the field? You are the only one. But also maybe it has to do with the fact that you guys have such a, such a large <laughs> foul area. There's nowhere else you can do it. Maybe Tampa Bay and, and Toronto. That's about it. Uh, for the fans out there, they're like, who the heck is talking on the like on this thing? Well, yeah. you, it, well they have you, no idea who I am. Yeah. Oh, cool. You're ESPN. And then after like freaking Billy Bean and Jed Lowry, then you put Marley Rivera. Really? Hey, you're ESPN. You're Your fans time. are like disconnecting right now. They're like, click. A little Sunday night baseball, which will be a lot of yes, fun. Yes, that's going to be very exciting. Buster Olney and Matt, and of course, A-Rod on the call. And we're going to be around doing doing some stuff too. But uh, it's fun to be back in Oakland. It's fun to have uh, Sunday night baseball back here, especially because, I mean, it's, it's been tough, I know, for the fans and the, the attendance. And I think it's going to be really awesome to have a nice Sunday night baseball here against the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, we haven't had that in a long time. Yes. And, I mean, obviously our fan base, there's a lot of different things yep. going on with trying to get a new building and, you know, par parallel yeah. projects here in Vegas. And we, we go through that all the time. <laughs> but, you know, that's one thing that, you know, whether we just had the Giants in town or whether the Yankees are in town, yep. it's spirit. It's a lot of fun for the fans. That's the best part, right? One of the things, and I always I always have a little bit of a dilemma, right? Like, as you well know, I, I – I've covered the Yankees for a long time. Yeah. And one of the things that happens is that the Yankees travel so well that there's like this amount of fans in, in, in other ballparks. It happens particularly at Tropicana Field, right? Like you'll get like half of the fans are Yankee fans. And it makes me sad for the locals at times because it's like so the, the heavy presence of Yankee fans last night kind of made me a little bit sad. So I sure hope that on Sunday we get a lot of, uh, a lot of the green and gold showing up. So I, I, I say this all the time, haven't worked in the NFL, yeah, haven't worked course. in the NBA, I covered the Raiders, covered the Warriors. I try and tell people there's nothing like the New York Yankees. They are the number one American sports franchise. It is what it is. They own the Eastern Seaboard. Uh, people are fans worldwide. 
Just talk to our fan base. What is it like to be around the New York Yankees <laughs> on a daily basis? I'm going to give you, and this is full credit to one of the great columnists in New York. His name is Ken Davidoff, who writes for the New York Post. And he gave us a great line. I started covering the Yankees officially as a beat 13 years ago. I've covered them a little bit longer. And they said, he said to me, Marley, the Yankees always provide. And that is the perfect example of what it is to cover the New York Yankees. Every single day, you have to keep track of every single moment because people care. Now, the good part about that is that we are all employed. Yes. Right? <laughs> I have a job because people care. Yeah. If people did not care about the Oakland Athletics, you guys would not have a job, right? You would not have yeah. your talk show. But people care. And it's really, it can be intense. It can be difficult. ESPN is very, very interested in the Yankees a lot. So it can be a little intense. But it is exciting to cover a team that the, that the fan cares so much. And I feel like I talk to other writers who cover the other 29 teams, and they don't have that experience. Like, literally, it doesn't matter what you say about the Yankees. The fans are always so engaged, and it's really kind of – it makes your job matter in a weird way. Like, sometimes we wonder if this, this thing that we do doesn't matter. Like, do people care? And they actually do. So, 2019. Yes. We're down in San Diego for the winter meetings. It's basically <laughs> us – the Padres had their local station because yes. it was a local deal. Yes. The Yankees had a full-on set, set <laughs> yes, for network. The yes network. I was like, <laughs> it's the winner. And, and, and lucky for them, when Garrett Cole signed, yes. you thought it was an earthquake. <laughs> but here we are, like we're doing radio. It's like, cool, we're at the winter. I'm from San Diego, so it was, so, it was, it was cool to be home. <laughs> but I'm like, the New York Yankees are the only team out of 30 teams with a full-on television set. Four cameras, the talent. It was like, it's the big leagues. It really is. And one of the things, for example, I've gotten to cover the Yankees outside the United States. Like, we've been to Panama with the Yankees. We went to London, as you yeah. know, uh, two years ago. And one thing that you don't realize when you're on the team all the time is the impact that they have on other people. So, for example, when we were in London and you would see them around, people would get excited about it. And I'd be like, really? Like, it's just Aaron yeah. Judge. Like, it wasn't exciting to me because you get used to seeing them. The impact is almost – I'm almost – immune to it now and I'm and I'd like to be reminded at times of how much people actually care about this team and, and they care in such a weird way like I'll see Yankee hats like I was in Japan on vacation saw a bunch of Yankee hats like it really is this worldwide you know coverage that you feel like so I don't know there's a lot of intensity and and uh I don't know worry about doing things right constantly well, I can tell you, when <laughs> when we were in Japan, you didn't see a whole lot of A's hats when we were walking around Tokyo. Oh, uh, my God. <laughs> you know, it, did, you, did you get to go to Iowa and do the Field of Dreams? I was there at the Field of Dreams, yeah. I got to tell you, when that hot air balloon came rolling by <laughs> and I'm watching it, I'm like, I've never been, you know, I've never been to Iowa because everywhere I've been is where pro sports are. but. Yeah. Take me through that. That it looked really, amazing. You really are going to tell me this. You haven't been to Iowa. I'm a Puerto Rican girl, really. Like we're going to go with cornfields in Iowa. I've never seen a cornfield in my life. Like it really is, right? I'm with you. I'm a Puerto Rican kid, and then grew up in New York. Like you think <laughs> I don't even know you. This is the moment before I tell you the, the story. This is the moment that you'll know how much of a city girl I am. I'm sitting there, and I thought I had stepped on something, and I kept smelling, smelling stuff, and I was like, man, I must have something on my foot. I don't know what happened. And one of my colleagues, who's next to me, Brian Hoke from Emily.com, goes, Marley. Doesn't it suck that it just smells like cow dung everywhere? And I had no idea. Uh, so that was the number one thing because we were in the middle of a true cornfield. Now, everyone knows this because I put it on social media. I'm not a fan of the movie, right? And it's okay. You, can, you guys all hate me and it's all good. But what an experience. You don't have to be a fan of that movie to experience that. The fact that all of a sudden. Did you go through like the house and yes, all that stuff? Yes, I went oh, to yeah. all that stuff. And it's, it's not only that. The fact that 
when, where we were sitting, because the field was built close to the site of the movie, Correct. right? Like yeah. it wasn't exactly on the site. Where they built the field where we could see it from the, from the press box, you could see the entire cornfield and this field in the middle of it. It's just incredible. Like the fact that they did this, the amount of work that Mary Cook from Major League Baseball, all these yeah. people did, and it looked perfect. And did you see the corn that you could see in the outfield? People were like, was that clear? It was clear mesh. So then the guys could bounce off. Those, you know, it would be protective, yeah. you know, as the padding on, on the outfield wall. But at the same time, you could see the corn. Like the way that it was designed, the way it was done, it really was just first class. Of course, not a great uh, first class experience for the New York Yankees, uh, <laughs> falling victim to Tim Anderson and the White Sox. But, I mean, just really a special experience. Very, very unique. I've gotten to, to cover baseball in a lot of places, right? Puerto Rico, Mexico, Japan. Uh, London, and this was particularly special. Even though it's in the middle of Iowa, you wouldn't think that it was special. It was. Is it one of those deals where we all should at least go there once? Like all I think the you other should see it. 28 Absolutely. teams? The only problem is very, very hard uh, to go. <laughs> so that's one of the, Sorry, in the middle of one of the things that they have to do because the Yankees and the, and the White Sox did the same thing. They both stayed. Well, the White Sox were coming from home, so it's a little bit different. But the Yankees had to stay in Chicago. So they actually never spent any time in Iowa. Really? They flew in that morning from Kansas City, which is where they were playing. They flew in that morning into the private airport, went, played the game, and flew back out to Chicago. So the Did first thing. I know that. A really uh, funny joke was that one of the guys, a local Iowa reporter, I wish I, I remembered his name, goes, what happened? None of you guys wanted to stay at the Super 8? Like, we were looking forward well, to you guys staying at the Super 8. There's no Ritz-Carlton in there? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently there isn't one because, you know, the Yankees don't stay in anything below the Ritz-Carlton, so absolutely. <laughs> but I think that we'll see. I don't know if all 28 teams have to do it. I think it has to be geared towards the fan base in that area. You know, a lot of, you know, Cubs fans and St. Louis Cardinals fans, Minnesota Twins fans. I can see that more. I don't know that it will keep its luster if you do it, you know, with 28 other teams. I just really don't see it. But I really, truly hope that they use this wonderful field, you know, for Triple A games, for double A games, for kids, yeah. for college. Like, that's what you want. You don't want that beautiful, beautiful, incredible field to go to waste. You know, I, I, you know, New York, so right before the pandemic hit, we did the family. I got twin girls. Oh, congrats. And, and we did congrats the. Congrats or I'm sorry. I'm not sure. It's, it's starting to become sorry. <laughs> uh, sophomores <laughs> in high school. But we did the whole. Oh, God. We went to D.C., okay. did the White House and the Smithsonian's. And we went to Philly and did the Liberty Bell. And, you know, and then we went to New York. And it was right before the shutdown. Oh. And, and my kids love theater. We went oh. to Hamilton. We went to Wicked. Wow. We, we went all, we did the 9-11 music. It was, and then all of a sudden, what's New York like right now? Right now we're doing really well. Our percentage of vaccination is really high. We're at 77%, so we're doing Good. really well. Not as, uh, this area, actually, I heard 85%, which is yeah. wonderful to hear. I'm just very, very happy that it's that way. And we are back in a weird way. It has been back. We've been having terrible weather recently. As you know, we got hit by a hurricane, and we've had really, really terrible heat waves. So I feel like that hasn't allowed for things to completely come back. But now we're going to have Broadway reopen in a couple of weeks, and Great. that's going to be really exciting. Yeah. And as you know, and it has been a little bit controversial, but I'm all for it, about the fact that New York is now requiring full vaccination for people who are going to go inside to any event. So now I feel that those measures have really helped New York. It actually made me very, very sad because San Francisco, I love coming to San Francisco and Oakland. I've always done it. I don't care, guys. People can hate on the Coliseum. I love coming here. I love it. I don't know what it is. I enjoy it. last dive bar we like <laughs> to call it. That's what it is. Oh, my God. That's what it is because I grew up with dive bars. This yeah. is exactly what it is. I love coming here, but the experience in San Francisco was very sad. I, we had an off day. I walked around the bay. I walked around and seeing 
I didn't have to stand in line anywhere. Everything was open. There was just not too many people on the streets. And that made me incredibly sad because a beautiful city, right, like San Francisco, not having tourists. And I understand, let's be very clear, right? The, the Delta variant is, has to, is out there and we have to be very, very careful. But we can, you know, we can be tourists responsibly. And in New York, tourism is back. And that is one thing that is a little bit different from what I've seen here recently. So that, that has made me very sad. What, what, was there anything weird for you getting back on the oh. road? <laughs> it was terrible. I mean, we did when we did the 60-game season, the New York Yankees started at home. As you, as you well know, everybody yeah. started at home. And it was, I remember, it was like 4th of July weekend. You guys remember that? Yeah. And it's just... Unfortunately, uh, Yankee Stadium, even though it's a new facility, it's kind of terrible. It, it doesn't have a lot of personality. It's just a really big white monster is what we like to call it. It's just, it's just a big billion-dollar stadium. Big <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Darn right. You know, I like what is it? Uh, Jerry's World is like a couple yeah. of billion dollars, but at least it shows it. I mean, this one. But anyway, Yankee fans are like, they already hate me enough for how much I hate on the Yankees. Don't worry, we got your back. <laughs> this is mostly Ace fans. Yeah. They, they don't like back. the Yankees either. So. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. But at the, you know, that was – to walk in there was so eerie. And to be able to hear the players, everything they said from the field, to hear them in the press box. To hear, like, just having no fans out there. To, when they play, take me out to the ball game, to an empty ballpark. When we're in the, sitting in the press box, it made you sad. Like, it really was. And one of the saddest places that I went to was Fenway Park. Fenway Park, with the, with the legend of a place that it is, just an incredible place to see it empty, the sadness that set on you. And we did full travel. ESPN did full travel last year. We did a lot of driving is what we were required to do. If we had to get on a plane, it was a little bit harder. But as you know, Toronto was playing in Buffalo at the yeah. time. And, you know, we have the Orioles driving distance. We also have the Red Sox driving distance. But just every time we went to those ballparks, I mean, you couldn't wait. I have complained about many fans in my life. I, I have not voiced a single complaint since because we need the fans back. That was so depressing. I hated every minute of it. Yeah, you didn't have the four seasons in Buffalo either. Nah, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> they have a very nice Marriott there, though, too. Well, we were, always, we were always laughing. Are the, are the Blue Jays the best team in New York? Hey, you never know. At that time, they were Correct. by far. They were by far. Actually, we were joking with Charlie Montoya, the manager. We said, hey, there's a really nice feel in Iowa. Why didn't you guys use it as a home ballpark? Because <laughs> they took the lights, right, yes, from did. Iowa and put them at Salem Field, I think yes, it's called. Yes, Salem Field, yeah, in Buffalo, who they did a marvelous job. It is still a minor field they did the best they could but it was an improvement from the double a or single a field in Dunedin Florida which is where they started the season like the Blue Jays started in a single a ballpark their season like the what, regular what? season against the Angels and Shohei Otani I, I couldn't believe it what did they do for like a clubhouse I mean they had a really really large tent on the outside that they used as a clubhouse and as you know Buffalo ain't warm in April uh, so no, it is not. <laughs> it is not the Bay Area, and so I, they needed a lot of heaters. And I've been there in January. It's Ooh. no fun whatsoever <laughs> when you're covering a Buffalo Bills game. Yeah, that's. Uh, Please tell me that they were playing the Jets and the Jets won because that's the only fanhood I have left. I know I have very very sad. You're a Jets fan. I know it's so sad. I'm married to a Browns fan. Well, he's feeling pretty good right yeah, now. Yeah, but that's taken a long time. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, you're talking about some bad years. We call, we call ourselves the, the saddest J household in sports. The J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, oh, Jets. Oh, don't do it. <laughs> I, I, seriously. Uh, it's, it's, it's a shame. I'm sad. I've been, uh, God, where was I? Two years ago when yeah. the, you guys 
I, I worked for the Raiders. I did the sidelines. Oh, God. You guys beat us. I'll never. It's a miracle. I it was one of the three wins that year. I, I never <laughs> forget how cold it was on the sidelines. Like when they talk about the Meadowlands being in like the middle of nowhere. <laughs> they are. And the wind just whips right. And it's the whole game. That's the it. wins the whole game. That's it. Because you're in Jersey. <laughs> oh, God. One of my good friends, I just talked to him, and he goes, do you know that the Jets already lost a season? I was like, oh, no. <laughs> exactly. That hasn't started. That Carolina game on Sunday is going to be interesting. Oh uh, Well, hey, thank you so much for oh, stopping by. It is by. my we honor. Appreciate it. I mean, I know that you're, you know, you're a local treasure, so for me it's really quite an honor. I appreciate that, Cody. I told him, really, am I allowed to sit on the same table? Yeah, you're never going to forget that. It really is. This a is a very treasure. special moment for me, a yeah. local treasure. Really. With a lot of bugs and dirt and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not Matty V, but. <laughs> well, enjoy some. What, you want to throw it to Matty V? Oh, what am I going to say? To the great. <laughs> Here is. Yeah. Uh, A's fan, now Angels broadcaster. Here we go. Okay. Along with Sunday Night Baseball, the great Matt Vaskersian. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, you know he's a big A's fan, and, and he's rooting for our boys. Matt Vaskersian from MLB Network. Of course, he also does the games now for the Angels. Matt, how are you? Chris, good talking to you, man. Uh, doing great. Doing good. Looking forward to being out there this weekend for this series, with, which got off to a entertaining but uh i guess disappointing start for for ace fans yesterday yeah these late game nightmares have been happening for the a's it's just like mad it's like it, it it's gotta end if you're gonna have a if you're gonna shot if you're gonna have a shot of the playoffs you, you you gotta stop this uh yeah it's true i mean we've seen so many playoff runs get abbreviated for the a's because they can't hold them down i mean it's always Whenever the Yankees and A's play late in the season, I always think about past uh, postseason experiences between these two teams. Um, you know, the Jeter flip play is something that it just burns in your memory. 2000, 2001, uh, and then you, the wild card game a few years ago when Hendricks gave up the homer to Judge, and it was effectively over at that point. Um, but even going back farther, and I think I'm a little older than you, but I was in the ballpark in 1980 for game three of that postseason series strike shortened year when Dwayne Murphy and Ricky Henderson both got hurt. Uh, and I believe Murph got hurt swinging the bat. I think he like, I don't know if he fractured a rib. It was some flukish injury. So Rick Bassetti ends up playing center field for the A's. Uh, Matt Keogh had matched Rigetti pitch for pitch until the top of the ninth. It's a one nothing Yankee lead in the top of the ninth. Still doable for the A's, and there's a line drive out the center field. I think Nettles hit it. I forget who hit it. The Setti took a wonky route, two runs scored, and it was over. But you had this Yankee postseason PTSD if you're an A's fan, and uh, you know I'm among many who I think suffer from it a little bit. Did you really go 1980 on me? I think I was. I, I, I was did. Like, I was like eight years old in 1980. Yeah, I, I went there. I mean, I still remember that stuff, man. Like, look, in 1980, I was 13, and you, as people smarter than I have said about sports, it's when you watched between ages 11 and 13. Those are the most impactful sports memories of your life. And even if the teams you watched then weren't very good, you'll always hold them in higher regard than you should because those were your kind of 
sweetest developmental years in a in the brain of a fan. And for me, it was those ace teams and that Billy Martin stuff, the Billy Ball teams. I mean, I still got a Billy Ball shirt. Uh, you know, those those were the teams for me. God, you think about that. I mean, but how much fun was that though? When you when you when you look back as a kid. And how that that's when the A's were a lot of fun. I mean, you, you think about like excitement and what they were about, you know, before we get into like the late eighties, the great, you know, really, I mean, you can go back to the seventies to the late eighties, but think about when you were a kid, how much fun those teams were. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because the lean years between the mustache gang world series teams and then the kind of Billy ball resurgence in the early eighties, those lean years were as lean as any franchise has ever had. I mean, I think there was a game against Seattle in like 78 or 79 where the reported attendance was under a thousand fans. And it, I mean, it was bad. Finley had sold everybody off. Uh, There were rumors about the A's leaving, which there always seemed to be, but they were, pretty poignant back then and it was rough until Billy got there and then things got kicked into gear and it's it's you know we know as as, as ace fans we know that life as an ace fan is a cyclical endeavor you you have a a kind of a renaissance period followed by a bottoming out and luckily the guys in charge now um have prevented the bottoming out I, I can't speak highly enough but uh the job David and, and his baseball staff has done to keep keep the team good, even though it's like a year-to-year thing. Um, but we know, you know, the past is such that there's there's always a, a couple of years where it gets wonky, and luckily we haven't had those in a long time. What does it mean for you to come back home and, and, and to do a game Sunday night baseball? What, what, what we'll have Sunday night versus the A's and the Yankees? It's really an immense um, source of pride for me to be able to come home, you know, the Coliseum gets dumped on by everybody nationally. Uh, the A's are respected very much for the fact that they win, uh, in the face of, you know, a different kind of market conditions than a lot of the successful teams. Um, but I love when ESPN's there and we were there two years ago for that wild card loss against the Rays and the place shows up, right? The place shows off nice. And I know that the A's have made a marketing push, a ticket push around the Sunday game to try to fill the place because it, it televises well when that top tank is open, Chris, you know, better than anybody when that top tank is open and it gets loud in there and it kind of looks like it did in the late eighties. Um, even though, uh, you know, ballpark's different because of Mount Davis, et cetera, but it's the feel is still good. And so it's really cool to go in there as a guy that, you know, grew up in the area uh, and do that. And it, you know, the challenge for me is always, to hit it down the middle. Um, and, you know, you're always aware of pundits online saying, oh, this guy's an age fan or, oh, this guy loves the Red Sox or, oh, this guy hates uh, the Cubs. You know, that that always exists. Um, so you do your best just to hit it down the middle all the time. Well, how does that work for you when, like, thinking about the Angels, uh, obviously our rival, did they get on you at all because they know you're an A's fan? No, I mean, you know, look, I, I've been doing enough enough other stuff for a long enough time um, to where 
it's not like, oh, we're hiring the kid that grew up in the East Bay. Um, I also spent a lot of time in Southern California and went to college there and kind of made that home for quite a long time. So yeah, you're, you're, you're uh, a I can, Trojan, for God's sakes. I am, but as I like to tell people, I'm a nice guy anyway. Um, <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, it, you know, it's not like – and and look, I like the Angels. I'm – I like Joe Madden. I, I like Trout. I like Otani. That's not a hard sell at all. And if you're going to start limiting yourself based on the team you grew up rooting for, then you're not really going to have much to do <laughs> in your life. So I, I really enjoy the profile I have with the Angels. I, I really like the organization top to bottom. And, um, you know, who knows down the road. But for now, it's really a, a good setup. You know, when I think about Trout, you know, I mean, we obviously as baseball fans, we love watching him play. Just how sad is it? We haven't seen Mike Trout since May. And he's literally one of the greatest players we've ever watched play. Yeah, I know. Uh, calf injuries uh, are not the kind of things that generally and, and you know, I'm no doctor, but um, this was a pretty bad one. Uh, we're not used to hearing about baseball player calf injuries taking the kind of time this one did, but, uh, you know, it has. And there's no chance that they're going to be casual with Mike's recovery time because he's he's that important to the game and certainly to the Angels. Um, so it's, it's just one of those things they're going to exercise great caution over. And whether that means he comes back in September or not is unclear. Um, the greater good is not necessarily at stake here. It's not like the Angels are on the right, you know, right there knocking on the door of a postseason berth. I mean, they just lost two out of three in Baltimore, for goodness sakes. That was about as disheartening as it gets. So if if it's a regroup, go get them next year. Healthy Trout, Otani, star, greatest player on the planet. Uh, Rendon comes back healthy. Maybe they add a free agent pitcher. I don't know what kind of appetite they have for another big contract like the one Max Scherzer is going to get, but he's absolutely what they need. Uh, he's what 29 other teams need too. But um, next year is, is, is probably more realistic for, for Mike, I think. And you think about Shohei Otani, how do you explain, like, like, like you talk to a baseball fan going, this is literally the greatest year we have ever seen of a guy playing baseball. How do you like that? Like, like you're around it. How do you put it into words? The greatness that is Shohei Otani. Yeah, I, I, we're running out of superlatives because you know you can look at other seasons and the the easy comp, the one that everybody gravitated toward was the 1919 Babe Ruth season because he did it so frequently. He did both so frequently. He, the game was different back then, so I understand that you, it's really difficult and unfair to comp the game generationally when you're talking about a hundred years ago. But it's, it's the best it's the best volume of work we have that's similar to what Shohei's doing. Difference is Shohei is probably going to reset a franchise home run record. He's sitting on 41. The record is 47. Um, he was good enough to win the other day in Baltimore, and the bullpen caved in. He's been brilliant on the mound since July. You can't – he's striking out a little bit more since the break than he was previously because he's being pitched differently. He's really the only threat in that lineup right now. I don't know that you can put it into words without dedicating an entire volume of words toward it because it's 
it's it's otherworldly what he's doing. And Joe, I think Joe Madden said it best, Chris. He said, I hope that fans don't just look at highlights of him on their phone and then think, wow, boy, that's pretty cool, and then put their phones down. Because what he's doing is not generational. It's multi-generational. It's been 100 years since we've seen a guy do this, and it might be another 100 years until we see somebody do it again. And you think about it, Matt, he's really a sweet kid, too. He's really a, he's, he's like, 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 you know, we've been to Japan. The A's have done it multiple times. I mean, you, you get to know him. He's really a good person, too. Agreed. Um, he's kind of what you want your kids to be, right? He's, he's that high-level athlete that, that doesn't have any jerk in him, not even a little. And the way he competes, the way he carries himself, the way he conducts himself on the field and off. Um, he's a modest reserve guy who happens to be the most talented baseball player on planet earth. Yeah. It's been, it, it's been fun to watch. I, I think there is no question about it. You know, and I think about your time MLB network, just talk about like what it means to us in the game, what you guys continually do, what you guys do it's, it's the best thing for our game to promote our game. I know what, like, you know, you think about, like, NFL Network and what they do, but what you guys do at MLB Network is truly is to promote our game, and I, I, I can't tell you how much we all appreciate it. Well, it's nice you to say. Um, you know, we're all, we're all doing it because we love the game and because it's a good place to work. Um, I think that the more people that watch the game, the better, regardless of how they're watching it, whether it's looking at highlights on your phone, participating in um, blogs, uh, whether you tweet about baseball, whether you watch it, listen to it on the radio, read about it, write about it. Uh, there's so many different avenues to participate now. And, the, you know, the, the, the uh, research actually reflects, Chris, that, more people are consuming baseball than ever before. The difference is it's not in the traditional means. They might not be listening to the radio and watching TV the way they are, uh, the way they were in, say, 1985 or whenever. Uh, but because of all these different avenues and portals, kids are involved. People are involved as fans. It's all um, interactive now. And uh, whether that means, you know, blasting the announcers on Twitter <laughs> or... <laughs> Uh, you know, celebrating your favorite player. <laughs> At least people are involved. You know, let's end on this because we've been talking about this a lot. Matt Vaskersian, longtime A's fan. Who is your favorite A's player of all time? Oh, gosh. I know it's a little cliche um, to say Ricky. But I, I don't know that it can be anybody else. I mean, Campy Campanaris is a very close second for me. Uh, again, gets back to being a little guy, being a young guy, and watching Campy play. I loved Sal Bando. Um, I loved Joe Rudy. I love Joe Rudy now more than ever before because of everything he was about. By the way, we're having uh, a on the show today, by the way. New really? Oh, that's... New A's Hall well, of Fame for Joe Rudy. Which is awesome. Uh, we're going to hit. We're going to talk about that on. Uh, we're going to talk about that on Sunday, along with some other stuff that I'm going to try to kind of camouflage uh, as not being an A's guy. Um, but yeah, Joe's in the top five for me. I, you know, I, I, you, gee, swing a 
swing a hammer around and hit a baseball card. And I'll tell you, that's my favorite day. I, I mean, shooty, I look, I was a shooty Babbitt fan. And I think I told you this story before, Chris, but I loved shooty as a kid. And I used to go to school with a shooty Babbitt baseball card in my Velcro wallet because we all had those in uh, 1980. Wow. And my best friend growing up had a Mike Heath baseball card in his Velcro wallet. So in adulthood, uh, I'm working for the Brewers at the time. And I'm in the press box talking to the PR guy, and I see this guy on the field, and I say, is that, is that Shooty Babbitt from Richmond, California, former A, former Billy Martin whipping boy? And the guy goes, yeah, he's one of our scouts. I'm like, oh, my God, I was a huge fan of his. Can you introduce me? So the PR guy goes down there and says, hey, we've got a guy up there. He's a Brewers announcer. He says he's from Northern California. He's a fan. And Shooty being the lovely, modest guy that he is, could not believe that there was someone up there that remembered him as a player. And he came up almost like he thought someone was playing a goof on him. I'm like, no, dude, let me tell you something. You're, <laughs> you're it for me. I was a Mac Babbitt fan as a kid because I knew he was from the area and he, you know, he was exciting. He had some flavor, passionate guy. And so, you know, he and I became friendly. And uh, whenever I see him at the ballpark, it's always a thrill. Dave Stewart's also top. I, I just named you eight top five guys. But Stu is top five, too. Well, you know, Shooty is a, uh, a very good friend. I've known Shooty. We play a lot of golf together. Shooty is a uh, very special person. But you mentioned Sal Bando, and Sal's going to go into our Hall of Fame here coming up next year. You think, I mean, Sal Bando is really, and you know, Bob Melvin wears the number for Sal Bando. Yeah. Sal Bando is truly one of the great third basemen, and doesn't get the love that he should get. No, and it's because, uh, you know, you flip the back of the baseball cards, and while the totals were good, and that his totals were really good considering the time he played in and the fact that the ball never traveled in the old days of the Coliseum, it, it was even harder to hit there than ever before. He, he's not like a stat casty type guy. He's not an analytics darling, so you're not going to have some uh, 22 year old egghead kid on his, on his laptop, who's uh, going back over the annals of time to rediscover what a great player captain Sal was. You, you knew it at the time. And he was a leader. He was a man. Uh, everything, everything anecdotally you hear about those world championship teams in the seventies would not have happened without captain Sal. And that I guarantee you that, that all those guys would agree. Even Reggie would agree with that. Hey, it's great to have you on the program. You know what you mean to us as a longtime A's fan, as a Bay Area guy. We will never judge you as a USC Trojan. But you know, man, we love you. <laughs> Thanks. That's, kind, that's the kindest thing anybody's ever said to me, Chris. <laughs> Thanks, hey, man. Hey, hey, by you. the way, you, you, you guys got this alliance going now. I, I have no idea what the Pac-12 is going to look like going forward. Yeah, I don't either. Um I, I think everybody's just trying to bide their time until the SEC allows them to join. That's it. That's all anybody wants in college football now. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Hey, buddy, it's going to be great to see you on Sunday night. Thank you so much for coming on the program. We always appreciate it. Got it, man. Looking forward to seeing everybody on Sunday. Thanks, thanks Chris. The great Matt Vesker's and right here on A's Cast Live. That was early. You can hear it in my voice. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's Matty V. It's Matt. That's lifelong Ace fan, Matty V, voice of the Angels. <laughs> Don't hate on him. It's a job, man. He's collecting a good check. Yeah, well. Can you imagine me doing the Angels? No, because you hate the Rally Monkey. Yeah, I, I don't think that. 
Well, now that my Twitter account is gone, uh, I don't think they can go back and trace all the times I said suck it, Rally Monkey. Well, you know, you should have went back and scrubbed it and just type in keyword Rally Monkey and just deleted all those tweets. Well, but you don't I, worry I, about it now. I, I can't even get into it, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well. The New York Yankees are finishing up batting practice. It's going to be game two of a three-game set. By the way, Marley's fabulous. And by the way, off the air, was spitting some serious knowledge. I'm just going to say this. The guy going tonight for the Yankees probably isn't the most favorite guy in the clubhouse. Uh, that's, yeah, that's what I heard. This guy, Garrett Cole, may not be the uh, most likable person uh, in the Bronx. No. With his own teammates. No, and uh, real quick before we go. Since uh, from June 22nd till his last start, August 21st, that's after the sticky stuff breakdown, four and three, a 3.96 ERA, 74 strikeouts, 18 walks, eight homers allowed, 23 earned runs. He allowed 23 earned runs all year coming up to uh, prior to those those dates I listed. So well, Derek, you, I'm you, just saying, I'm hey, I'm just just saying. You know, part of the problem with signing a guy long term, you don't necessarily know what kind of guy he is. Yeah, well, and when you sign a guy long term. You're with him for, what did he sign, a 10-year deal? Nine. So he's, this season the year uh, two. So they got a lot of years left of uh, Mr. Garrett Cole. Yeah, the guy that they originally drafted, he didn't sign, and then he signs, he gets drafted and signed with the Pirates. That's the thing you just don't, I mean, you can you can do all the reports, you can have all the scouts, you can have all the, how is he going to fit inside your clubhouse? You just don't know. And we got an idea He's not the most lovable guy in the big leagues. Wasn't that interesting? 100%. Uh, but I'm not surprised. I mean, he makes so much money on the team. They probably all are. Well, there's probably a lot more than just the money that goes into it. Yeah, I mean, that's the, you know, how are you going to get? How is everybody going to play in the sandbox? Are we all going to play good together? It's very interesting. All righty, coming up next, we got Elvis Andrus. That's correct. We're going to replay Elvis from yesterday. We want to thank Billy Bean. We want to thank Jed Lowry. We want to thank Matt Vaskersian and Marley Rivera from ESPN. I'll be back at 540 with A's Total Access, presented by? Uh, Francis Ford Coppola Winery. Boom. Elvis Andrus next, right here on A's Cast Live. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.